Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. We have um, been journeying now for several weeks. Uh, with the this element of the study of how tradition uh, gets in the way of what God is trying to do in the earth through his kingdom, uh, through his spirit. Uh, if we're not careful, we've said it before that if the enemy can't keep you from going to church, then he will get you to do it for the wrong reasons. The enemy can't keep you from holy activity, sacred activity, then he will misalign your pursuit and misalign your reasoning, and you'll find yourself doing the activity, but for the wrong reasons. And in Matthew chapter 15, we see Jesus confronted with this very element, says that some Pharisees, and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. And they asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? Do we have the verses, guys? Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? Everyone say tradition. For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you, by your tradition, violate the direct command of God? And so we've been looking at this, this concept, this idea that our traditions, if we aren't careful, will become the very thing that opposes and restricts the kingdom of God in our life, that they will actually be set up as a wall, they'll actually be set up uh, in a way of um, keeping us from the things of God rather than getting us closer to the things of God. These religious leaders, uh, these scribes, these Pharisees, teachers of the law, whatever title you want to give them, they were the individuals that we would say of this time were the church people, the church folk, the ones that had the greatest awareness of God the Father, had the greatest understanding that I need to live my life for someone else. But they failed to recognize kind of what we were just saying a little earlier, that there is a point where you come to an end and where you need to relinquish and surrender to what God has. And they allowed their traditions, they allowed their ceremonies and their decorative stuff and their uh, uh, religious activity, the outward uh, fleshly stuff, to be of a greater priority than seeking the heart of the Father. And when Jesus showed up as the very reflection of the Father himself, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You couldn't get any closer to God than that moment. But yet their traditions were eliminating their capacity to pursue 
the heart of the Father. They had begun to follow religious activity. They had begun to follow this uh, 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 behavior, these rules, these doctrines, these principles, however you want to describe it. They began to follow these rather than following God. And so Jesus makes the statement, why do you, by your tradition, violate the direct command? That if we're not careful, that they're traditions that we hold near and dear to. Now, God honors tradition. Let's go ahead and understand this. You can look throughout the Old Testament that there were ceremonies, there were feasts, there were uh, celebrations, there were altars, there were monuments. All of these were designed for markers and reminders to give us a tangible sense of how we can contact the Father, but they were never meant to be the presence of God himself. They were not designed to be the thing that brings the encounter, the the element that brings the relationship that we had to maintain. It was said of Moses that the Israelites knew God's ways, but Moses knew his will. And the difference is I can look on the outside, on the external, and I can see how something works, but that doesn't tell me why it works. The Israelites knew what God wanted, Moses knew why God wanted. And so if we're not careful, we will get over into what mode. And I'll tell you what, if you uh, get hooked on the what, you'll miss out on the why. Most of us work jobs day in and day out knowing what to do, but we may have forgotten why we do it. We may have forgotten its purpose. I love what Reverend Tony said last week, our guest minister. He said, you should never say I'm going to work. We should always recognize that I'm always in a mode of what is my role? What is my function? What am I called to do? What am I here to fulfill? You're not there just collecting a check. You're not there just grinding the ax. You're not there just to make it through another day. Our lives um, don't become purposeful because we know what to do. We know what to do with our eyes closed. We know what to do like the back of our hand. We know what, but it's why. Why is what gives you passion. Why is what applies purpose. I love what Miles Monroe says. He says, purpose always answers the question, why? And people get run down in the mud knowing what to do. Burned out in spirit knowing what to do. But they might, be, they, they might be disciplined, but they're not devoted. We can often confuse the two. That we just know what to do, where to go, how to say it, when to do it. That doesn't mean you're doing it with passion. That doesn't mean you know the purpose. That doesn't mean you're being a difference, making a difference. That doesn't mean that you're changing the world around you. No, we got to know why we do what we do. And Jesus came to show us the why. Jesus came to get us back to the why. Jesus came to renew our minds, to reveal to us what it looks like to live a life knowing why you exist. Jesus knew who to talk to. He also knew who not to talk to. 
Jesus knew who to associate with. He also knew who not to associate with. Jesus knew uh, when to go a place and when not to. There was a time in Luke, I believe it's in chapter 4, in Luke chapter 4, where he was in a town ministering and performing the, the mighty works that he did and, and ministering the mighty words that he, that he said. And this town said, please, stay with us another day. Don't go. And he responded and he said, I cannot stay. I must go to the other towns and villages to preach the kingdom. He said this, because this is why I was sent. See, most of us have misunderstood Jesus' purpose altogether anyways. 99% of Christians, if you ask them, why did Jesus come? They'll tell you, he came to die on the cross for my sins so that when I die, I can go to heaven. And I'm thankful that he died on the cross for my sins. I'm thankful that his blood atones for my sins and covers them, washes them away as far as the east is from the west, that I don't have to live bound in that anymore, that I can uh, have a life of hope, that I know that when I'm separated from this earth, from this physical body, I'll be present with the Lord when I'm absent from here. I'm thankful for that. But Jesus's purpose was greater than just going to a cross and giving you a ticket to a, a better place when we leave here. We note this. His purpose was to restore the kingdom, bring a kingdom, bring back to man what man lost in the garden. Man didn't lose heaven in the garden. They weren't even looking for it. We have no account or record that tells us that Adam and Eve were wandering around waiting for Jesus to come back through the clouds. I know we say these things a lot, but it's good to bear repeating, and it's good because what happens is, and I'm going to show us several traditions that we can buy into that we believe as the Word of God that are nowhere found in the Word of God. Let's just go ahead and understand, just because it's posted on Facebook and it's got a lot of likes and comments does not make it the Word of God. Huh? Just because celebrity so-and-so said it or because pastor so-and-so said it or because grandma so-and-so said it doesn't make it the word of God. It's high time we make the word the final authority once again. It's about time that we put the word in its place where it belongs, seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. Because the enemy loves nothing greater than to distract us with activity, practice, or what sounds good but isn't God. We saw it last week in Genesis chapter 3, that with Adam and Eve, he brought them a distraction. What about that fruit? Shows up by challenging the word of God with a question. And we've learned, not everyone asks questions to learn something. Not everyone asks questions because they want to know something. Sometimes people ask questions because they want to challenge something. They want to look smarter than the truth. And we live in a world today, everyone's got their own version of truth, don't they? Well, that's not how it works. If the truth, if, if the truth is not absolute, then what is it? But we have an absolute word. We have an absolute final say. We have an absolute, and it's not my opinion. You can come ask me all day, Pastor Mark, what is your opinion on, on homosexuals being married? What's your opinion on this? Or what's your opinion on that? What's your opinion? I'm not going to give you my opinion because my opinion's as worthless as yours. Huh? You don't want my opinion. 
It's no good. Trust me. No, but I've decided to side with another party. I've decided to, well, what does my king actually have to say about that? You want to know what I think, what I, what I want, what I want to see. I want to see what the king sees. I want to say what the king says. I want to be what the king is. I want to promote the agenda and the values and the plan and the purpose of the king. Only the king. And the king says, this is what a marriage looks like. This is what a family looks like. This is what identity looks like. This is what purpose looks like. This is what healing looks like. This is what redemption looks like. So what does the king say? That's what you really want to know. My opinion means nothing to you. It's worthless. It's, it, it, there's no value. But I can tell you what my king says. And I've chosen to side with his party. I've chosen to come up under his agenda and his plan. What does the kingdom desire? Because the king always wants the best for us. He always wants the best for us. I heard someone put it this way this this past week that the, uh, well, what's the word I want? When you twist something, pervert, when the, the perversion of kingdom authority is dictatorship. You see, most of us think that if I submit myself to a final authority, then he will be a dictator in my, no, a dictator doesn't care about you. A dictator cares about their plan more than your plan. But a ruler, a king, a loving king says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. I've got your best interests at heart. Man, it's easy to serve a king when you know everything he's put in place and everything he's aligned and everything he's spoken and everything he's dictated and directed for my life. It's for my best interest. It's to promote my health. It's to promote joy in my life. It's to promote redemption in my life. It's to promote healing in my life, health in my life, wholeness in my life. And so when I see his word, I don't see his word as bondage, as restricting me. I see his word as what frees me and liberates me. There was a boundary in that garden, but that boundary kept them within the confines of everything that they would ever need. If you do not eat the fruit of this tree. If you want to look for a life without boundaries and without guidelines, you won't find it in the kingdom. Because outside of the boundary, outside of the guideline, outside of that is everything that the enemy has opened up this world to. The freedom is not what we think it is. The truth will make you free. But it's living by that truth that makes you free. You say, well, I don't get to do what I want to do. You never got to do what you wanted to do anyways. Because there's a God of this age, a ruler of this world. You're not doing what you want to do. You're doing what he wants you to do. You're never really doing what I want to do. You're submitted to one of two lords. You might as well just choose to make Jesus Lord of your life. Choose to make the one Lord of your life that already knows your purpose from the beginning, already destined and, and given you hope for the future. That's the Lord I want to serve. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. These are familiar verses, but great reminders. 
let's never let the word become familiar to us. Let's allow the Lord to take us to the same passage over and over if needed to show us something maybe we've never seen. But it still presents the same power. You know, sometimes we think if I've heard that word before, if I've read that verse before, then I've, I've zapped it of all the power that it had. And you know that's impossible. That's impossible. It's living. It's active. Now, the only reason we would think that is because mentally we've put up a barrier. I've heard that before. Mentally, we've put up a barrier. I've gotten everything out of that. It's like there's, there, it, it's like each verse is is a piece of fruit, and you've squeezed all the juice out of it. And there's nothing left, so you throw it away and dispose of it. And that verse says, "That's not how it works." This is a constant flow. It's a living, it's a living river. It is constantly flowing with uh, revelation, rejuvenation. It will invigorate you. It is, Jesus said that it's literally how we live by the word of God. Literally why I'm alive today because of his word. Amen. So we want to keep ourselves postured where We value the word at all times. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, in the Amplified, it reads this way. If then you have been raised with Christ to a new life, thus sharing his resurrection from the dead. So that's past tense. He's saying, if this has already taken place, where this is not speaking of when I die and go to heaven. He's saying, now you've been raised to new life. Now you have... uh, Submitted your life over to the kingdom of God. You've come out of darkness into light. You've come out of death into life. Since you have submitted your life to his plan, since you have been raised with Christ, a new life, he says, aim at and seek the rich eternal treasures that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Look at these words. He says, aim at and seek with the rich eternal treasures that are above. Those words are extremely intentional. Aim at, seek, pursue. Have you ever accidentally aimed at something? I didn't ask if he hit the target. You might accidentally hit the target. I didn't ask that. I said, did you accidentally aim? Have you ever accidentally sought after? Anybody ever accidentally played hide and go seek? I didn't realize I was looking for you. There you are. I guess I win. No, it doesn't work that way. It takes intentionality. Why does it take intentionality? Because there are other things vying for your attention. There are other competing voices, competing agendas, competing plans. They're called traditions. And the enemy doesn't uh, run us away from the kingdom, divert us from the kingdom by showing us hell. He diverts us from the kingdom by showing us something that looks like the kingdom. I remember in in, in Genesis chapter 3 when he spoke to Eve. He says, he knows that when you eat of the fruit, you'll be more like him. 
Now, that's, a, that, that's an interesting thing as the enemy of God. That's an interesting thing to tempt Adam and Eve with. I'm going to show you how to be more like God. You would think that he would want to show them how to be less like God. We think the enemy's just showing up in our lives with blatant rebellion. We think the enemy is showing up in our lives and distracting us and getting off target by running after things uh, that are so obviously not a part of God's kingdom. But that's not how he operates. He's cunning. He's tricky. And so he's constantly introducing these things into our lives that look like they possess what the kingdom possesses. That have the that 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 are laced with rebellion and laced with evil, but really overall, it could be hard to determine. Hebrews chapter five, uh, the writer tells us that we need to strengthen and grow up ourselves so that we can discern between good and evil. You would think good and evil, I wouldn't need to practice discernment. It's obvious, good, bad, right, wrong. No, apparently in the last days, they're going to walk side by side and you're going to need spiritual discernment and a spiritual capacity to identify, ah, that's, that's not of God. That's not of the same spirit. Remember when Jesus said that to his disciples, you don't know which spirit you are of. You are submitting, you, it sounds like my spirit, and you've accepted it as my spirit, but that is not my spirit. You're going to need to grow up a little more. You're going to need to have a little more discernment. You're going to need to strengthen yourself in this area a little bit more because you're about to accept, accept something as righteous that's unrighteous. You're about to accept something as holy that is actually unholy. You're about to accept something from a, an alternative source. And that's what the enemy does, is he shows up with these competing voices, these competing agendas. Oh, he'll bring them. And he, he, he'll allow you to still go to church. And he'll allow you to still read your Bible. And he'll allow you to still play your Christian songs. He'll allow you to still listen to your podcasts and your YouTube videos. All the while... You're supporting and promoting his plan, not God's. Because we haven't fully recognized by the Spirit which is of God and which is not. So he says, since you've been raised, seek, aim at, strive for. Not striving as in I'm working. We've already learned that religion causes us to strive and the kingdom is calling us to surrender. I need to surrender my idea, not strive to pursue. But I am aiming at, seeking at, being extremely intentional. It's time in these last days we're going to need to put up blinders. You know what the Bible says is really interesting to me? It says in the last days they will heap up for themselves teachers. You would think as the day grows darker that we would be running out of teachers. And he says, man, you're going to have an abundance of, you're going to have so many teachers that you're going to need to work diligently to discern which is of God and which is
It's aiming at, seeking after those things that are above where Christ is. The next verse, he says this, and set your mind and keep them set. It's more personal responsibility, more activity on my side that, hey, there's something trying to get your mind off track. There's something trying to distract you. There's something trying to show up and show you, hey, what about over here? Another shiny thing. We're living in days now where, especially in the United States of America, we have this plethora, we have this wealth of access. But I don't know if it's helping us. A wealth of knowledge, easily accessible, can get it whenever I want. But are we better because of that? Sometimes having less options is better than having too many options. So I've got to set my mind. That's planted, firm, immovable. Come on, if if you have a mind that is set on the word of God Sunday morning between the time of 10.30 and 12. Your mind's not set. You've just decided, you've got recency bias. (laughs) You believe the last word you heard, but then you get out to the car, you get out to the parking lot, you get home, the same challenges, the same struggles, the same bills, the same issues, the same problems, the same uh, uh confusion that were there before are still there when you get back. And if you don't have a mind set, you'll rejoice in here, cry in here, raise your hands in here, celebrate in here, and you'll get home out there, get in the world out there and fall to pieces once again. That's not a mind that is set. That's a mind that has just accepted and believed the last thing they heard. But you can be just as easily moved to believe God. You can easily be moved not to believe God. There were people that followed Jesus, that they followed him, but they could be convinced not to. But then there were people that followed him and there was nothing you could do. They were not leaving his side. They were not abandoning him. And you know what? You don't even know what you truly believe until it's challenged. You know that. You don't even know what you are truly, we don't know if the house built on sand is built adequately until the storm shows up. It looks great in the sunlight. Beachfront property. It's on Airbnb. It's a multi-million dollar property. It's exactly what you want. We don't even know what it, it contains or the, its its adequacy until the challenge arises. You know, uh, uh, most companies have something called quality control. And you know what that is? That's where they bring challenge, bring opposition, bring something to disrupt the normal flow to see how it will withstand opposition. How will it withstand? Tradition doesn't hold up against opposition, but the kingdom does every time. And so how am I going to to buy into this kingdom and avoid the, I've got to set my mind. And then he says, when you set your mind, keep it set. 
I don't remember who it was or even what they were, were selling. Maybe it was a toaster oven or something when I was growing up. There was a guy that was the, what did he say? Set it and forget it. That's what it was. I knew if I started it, you'd finish it. You remember that guy? Was it a toaster oven or something? And it was just, I don't remember what it was. Ronco Toaster. There we go. Somebody, you picture him with his green apron on right now. You can see him. Well, I'm going to teach you to set it and remember it because the word that is easily forgotten is never lived by. No, he says set it, set your mind, and keep it set on what is above. This is implying there's something coming to move your mind off of the word of God. That's the implication. The implication is it's not going to stay there by itself. That even just by the natural order of things, natural digression is our minds are shifty. Our minds are are easily moved and easily uh, uh, realigned to something else. So he says, set your mind and keep it set on what is above, the higher things, not on the things that are on the earth. Shows you the two competing agendas, the two competing voices. For as far as this world is concerned, you have died. And your new real life is hidden with Christ in God. This is how, this is how God views it. When you come into the kingdom, you have died. That means that the the works of the world and its influence on you should be of of no effect, ineffective. It shouldn't move you one way or the other. When you come into the kingdom, sickness shows up in your body. It shouldn't move you on what the word says. But you know how many people believe in healing until sickness shows up? People believe in provision until lack shows up. People believe in a peace of mind until an opportunity to become anxious and worried shows up. And they're easily moved. They have not set their mind and chosen to keep it set. And so the word is made of no effect in their lives. It doesn't, it's not given an opportunity to bear fruit. It's the parable of the sower. They might have received it with joy initially. But the cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, the trials and challenges and tribulations, the persecutions that come because of the word, move them off. And now all of a sudden, I got to change your mind. Now all of a sudden, I'm chosen to buy into a man-made tradition. Rather than what the kingdom has to say. As far as this world is concerned, you have died. Your new life is hidden with Christ. Let's look at this in the Passion Translation. And then we'll wrap this thing up. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 in the Passion. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. You know, you look at the life of Jesus. He lived the ascended life. He lived a resurrected life. He lived a life more focused on heaven than the earth. And you and I have that same option and opportunity. You can choose to live with the greater focus of the things around you 
rather than what does heaven say. You can choose to live with the greater focus of what does the kingdom say instead of what is everybody else say. And I'm going to tell you right now, and this is this is one thing I was listening to my pastor, Pastor Earl, just minister this uh, either last week or the week before, and uh, he put it this way. He said, people have come to him and said, man, I, you know, the, the one reason why we just can't handle the kingdom message is it because we're the one going against the grain. Absolutely. It shows you how easily people accept tradition over the kingdom. If you accept tradition, you've chosen the easy way. Everybody's going that way. If you want fanfare, followers, favorites, likes, uh, you know, you want everybody pleased by your decision, you want everybody agreeing with you and appeased by what you do, choose tradition. But the kingdom will set you on a course where you're literally one person going in the opposite direction in the midst of a million. And everybody's like, where's he going? There's a reason why the gate is narrow, guys. (laughs) Wide is the road. In 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 a culture and society that is so inundated with following, 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 Who's taking the lead? Are they worth following? Is that worth following? Is that worth getting behind? Is that worth promoting? And the kingdom is not something you get in because everybody's doing it. The kingdom is not something you get in because it's the trendy catch word, catch phrase. The kingdom is not, the kingdom is something you die for. The kingdom is something you surrender to. The kingdom is something that will get you killed. The kingdom is something that will say, if they take everything, take it all. I'm giving my life to the kingdom. And the individuals in that book did just that for a kingdom. They lived misunderstood. They lived misrepresented. They lived going against the flow. They lived that way. That was their normal life. They never once said, oh, you know, this is getting really out of hand and we're just looking like a bunch of idiots out here. Let's just calm it down. Let's just go with the flow. Let's just, man, they were just, they were looking for ways to go against the flow. And to do that, you have to kill tradition. You've got to choose tradition does not live. If in, in my existence, in my life, in my home, in my plan, in my purpose, tradition dies. My life is where tradition goes to die. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. This is why we are to yearn for all that is above. For that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Yes, feast on all the treasures of heavenly realm, of the heavenly realm, and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities, not with the distractions of the natural realm. The distractions, you see that? The distractions. Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life. And now your true life is hidden away in God, in Christ. You know, the Bible says that there were people that chose to appease man and in doing so, displeased God. You're not always going to be able to have both. 
You're not always going to be able to have both. There are times serving God, and it will draw people in. That's amazing. But don't get hooked on it. Don't let that be the leading pursuit or emphasis in your life. You recognize, you know what, there's going to be one day I'm going to say yes to God, and it's going to mean saying no to man. It sure will. I want to give you seven, how do I want to put this? Seven seven comparisons of religion in the kingdom. Seven comparisons of religion in the kingdom. Because you'll notice in these seven statements, you'll see, it'll make clear, it'll be abundantly clear how we have been sold a bill of goods by the enemy. And they'll sound good. We've accepted them. I've accepted them. For the longest time in my life, I accepted these as That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm called to do. That's my why. That's why I exist. That's what the church is here for. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what my activity is all about. But it'll be made clear today where it opposes the kingdom and gets us off of our purpose. Number one, religion preoccupies man until they find the kingdom. Religion preoccupies man until he finds the kingdom. Everyone on this planet is looking for the kingdom. I've had people tell me this, that in understanding the kingdom or hearing kingdom teaching, it made the Bible so much clearer. It may, it helps things make sense that sat out on the, man, why did they do that? Or what was that all about? Or what, what, why did God do this? And you, when you start understanding the kingdom, it's like light bulbs start popping off. It's like, that's why that's there. That's why he said this. That's why they went there. That's why God did that. It's the kingdom. See, the kingdom is not a theme within the book. It is the book. The kingdom is not a theme or a topic. Let's preach this week about the Holy Spirit. Let's preach this this next month about prayer. And then Easter's coming up. We're going to preach about the crucifixion, and then we'll get to the kingdom. No, the kingdom is what all of these subjects are contained in. You can never eliminate kingdom teaching from the Word of God. Otherwise, you'll end up with tradition. And so the enemy introduces tradition as a replacement for kingdom because, you know, far out, I mean, zoomed out, the the pursuits look kind of the same. I'm trying to please God. I'm trying to live a holy life. I'm trying to do the right things. But then Jesus looks at him and says, you've actually violated the commandments of God because of your traditions. So something's off. Somehow, some way, we adopted and bought into a system that does not promote the things of God. We've got to get back. Religion preoccupies man until they find, until he finds the kingdom. Number two, religion is what man does until he finds the kingdom. So now it introduces all this activity. Now it introduces all this uh, uh, behavior, modification. 
Religion will change you from the outside in where the kingdom wants to change you from the inside out. And tradition is how they do it. If you just say the right things, do the right things. Now, again, we're not removing activity. We're not moving behavior. We're not moving attitudes. There should be no reason. Guys, I'm just going to put it point blank. I hope you can receive it this morning. There should be no reason the fruits of the Spirit are not exhibited in Christians. All of them. It's not a buffet where you go and you pick which ones you like. Every fruit ought to be in in your lifestyle and in your practice period. It's fruit of the Spirit, meaning the Spirit is producing this fruit in you. That's love, joy. Well, that's a tough one today. But there's some people I know, it's like, do you ever laugh about it? Do you, is your face capable of smiling? I mean, laugh at me. I don't care. Just laugh. Smile about something. Just joy, peace, peace, patience. Patience ought to be exhibited in the, well, it's not real. And you know what we've done? If we've taken the fruit of the Spirit and we've, 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 we've made them, well, it's not really my character or my identity, my demeanor. It's not. That's why you die to that person and you live to the Spirit. That's the whole reason why. You didn't come out loving. You didn't come out joyous. You didn't come out patient. So you got to yield to the fruit of the Spirit. You got to yield to the Holy Spirit. It says, man, I would really love to slap this person in the face right now, but I'm going to walk in love, and I'm going to be joyful, and I'm going to smile about it, and I'm going to be patient with them. And then goodness and faithfulness and self-control. Well, I just can't seem to control myself. I know you can't. That's why you got the Holy Spirit. Well, we could we could clear some places out real quick. You call yourself a Christian, but the fruit of the but you want to witness and you want to tell them everything wrong with their life, and you want to talk down to their sins that are more evident than your sins, but there ain't no fruit coming out of your life. No, come on, man. It's the kingdom. So religion. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. That, that's, that's a horrible thing to get called. Might not make sense to us today, but you're saying you got it real cleaned and pretty on the outside, but on the inside, you hold dead things. Whitewashed tombs. A tomb is where we bury someone, where we put dead stuff, and it rots, and it decays, and it stinks, and that's what you are. It looks real good on the outside, but you just put lipstick on a pig. Religion wants to give you a a new paint job, and God's trying to give you a whole new car. Engine and everything. So religion is what man does until he finds the kingdom. Number three, religion prepares man to leave earth. The kingdom empowers man to dominate earth. Huh? We're all trying to leave what he's called us to influence. 
He's called to dominate, called us to dominate, rule over, manage. Yeah, so religion and tradition, they make excuses for why the world is the way it is. If you find yourself just talking about how bad things are, you have sided more with religion than the kingdom. Because the kingdom finds solutions where religion finds problems. And I've learned it doesn't take any skill at all to be a problem finder. You don't have to go to school for it. You don't have to watch a YouTube video. You don't have to learn it from some. It, it just, it's automatic. I can highlight what's wrong with something. But man, it takes some work, some drive, some initiative, some intentionality to find a solution, to find an answer, to bring an answer. Religion wants you to leave. The kingdom wants you to dominate. Religion focuses on heaven. The kingdom focuses on earth. Guys, this might be the biggest one because our whole uh, Christian mantra of getting people in the kingdom is, do you know where you would go if you died today? That's like the number one, uh, you know, witnessing tool that we have at our disposal. It's to scare people so bad and if, you, if your life was eliminated today, do you know where you would go? Guys, we, I'm going to just tell you right now, the kingdom has much more to offer somebody than a next destination when you depart this place. And I don't need to use fear. You know what I'm more fearful of? Leaving this place and not having left a mark on it. I can't remember who said it. Maybe Bill Winston, maybe Miles Monroe says, you don't have the right to leave this earth without it knowing you were here. When you live a heaven-focused mentality, you miss what's right in front of you. You miss the opportunities. You miss the advantages. You miss the times where I can be an answer instead of hope for an answer. I'm just going to tell you right now, heaven is not your answer. Heaven was not made for you. Made for God. Hell wasn't made for us either. It was made for the enemy, made for the devil. Your purpose and your place was on this planet. Period. All right, let's get off of that one before I lose everybody. Still got three more. Hope we can get there. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. The kingdom is God's plan to get to man. Religion says, I got to get there, get there, get there, get there. What did, what did Jesus, what was Jesus called? Emmanuel. What does it mean? God with, not us with God, God with us. God took the step of coming down out of heaven to you. He said, I'm coming down where you are. Let me invade that place. Let me put my spirit in that realm. Say, God with us. Religion's only pursuit is how can I get there? How can I get there? And he's made a way to get to you. Number six, 
Religion looks to escape earth. We're looking for the quickest way out. The path of least resistance. Guys, if y'all would come. The path of least resistance. The shortest route. Religion wants to get out. The kingdom looks to manage earth. The kingdom looks to invade the earth. The kingdom wants to get in. We want to get out, and God's trying to get in. God is not done with this planet yet. God is not done with the earth yet. God is not done with Valdosta yet. God is not done with you yet. God is not done with your life yet. And you are the avenue by which he is getting into that realm, that sphere of it. He's not done with the government yet. He's not done with education yet. He's not done with the schools yet. He's not done with the families yet. He's not done with entertainment yet. He's not done with the sports industry yet. He's not done with Hollywood yet. He's not done with finance and business yet. But he needs us to go into those spheres. Not with an approach of until we all get to recognizing I carry something. I have something. Every child we just prayed up, prayed for up here, they're designed to go into a sphere of influence and take the kingdom with them. Leave no stone unturned. The last one, number seven. Religion seeks to take earth to heaven. The kingdom seeks to bring heaven to earth. It's a change of focus, a change of perspective. And Paul says, and you got to seek at this stuff. You got to aim at this stuff. You got to be intentional to look for this stuff. You're not going to find it accidentally. You're not going to find the kingdom accidentally. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, the kingdom is not here or there. It's within you. It's within you. Quit looking for someone else to change what you've been called to change. Quit looking for a, a way of escape when he's looking for you to bring the answer to somebody else. Quit looking for a way out and find a way through. This is what the kingdom provides. Yeah, it crushes tradition. We've already talked about why we fail to let go of tradition because of pride, maybe unbelief. Man, we can find ourselves loving how we would do something rather than discovering how would God do it. Father, we thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.